So we are all living in this increasingly digital world where our lives are migrating to digital spaces in our work, in how we communicate, in who we connect with. So our physical spaces are now turning more digital. And what's been clear is that this path to control who you are online across all your profiles, all your accounts with certainty can really be challenging. So the journey between the physical world and digital spaces makes it more difficult to control your identity. So as you traverse through digital applications, through sites, your physical physical driver's license, your health card, any of the certification that you need to verify you as owner of these credentials has to be done in the way that provides a higher level of assurance and allows you to securely share a lot of the information, your own information to be granted access to, let's say, information to sites to be able to go to that concert, to hop from one country to another while minimizing what you actually disclose. So welcome everyone. My name is Hesse Jones and we are at Friday, uh, June 9th, Tech Uncensored. The emergence of verifiable credentials has been around for some time and evolving within this user-centric identity space for well over a decade. And it seeks to resolve some of the challenges as we start to transition between um, the physical and digital spaces when it comes to identity. Verifiable credentials is a rising standard and it's gaining a lot of public and private adoption across the world, including the European Union. And I'm happy to welcome Lucy Yang, who is the managing partner of Identity Woman in Business. This is a boutique consulting firm specializing in digital identity. And she's worked in the decentralized identity space for over four years. And she started off as a community director of the COVID credentials initiative to address some of the privacy issues and concerns of sharing COVID and health information through uh, verifiable credentials. So just so you know, we're also both co-founding members of My Data Canada, and it's a nonprofit organization that advocates for more personal data empowerment. So today we're going to discuss the principle of decentralized identity and how a community has evolved them to a new type of infrastructure to solve some of today's data privacy issues and how this is going to play in the rampant development of artificial intelligence. So more importantly, what will this mean to founders who are developing applications and collecting and managing customer information towards this new privacy standard? So I welcome Lucy. Thank you for coming today. Thank you, Hasi, for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Yeah, this should be fun. Okay, so let's talk about how you got started with decentralized identity. So COVID was a significant event that actually started to surface some of the issues when it comes to personal data at a time when people's identities connected to COVID vaccination were highly scrutinized. So tell us about the initiative and what you were trying to accomplish. Yeah, sure. So I, I came from a business background. So I thought, no, never claim that I'm technical, but what I'm passionate about, and even before, you know, I get started in the space is how to leverage technology, especially emerging technology, understand it well as a business person and use it to solve problems in a meaningful way. Um, that's also you know, how initially it got into space. And COVID was kind of a it's kind of a turning point, for, I think, for a lot of us, right? Our life, all of us 
all of a sudden changed. And especially more and more, as you mentioned in your introduction, is where more and more of our lives are becoming digital. And especially there's certain, I mean, there are like some kind of circumstances early on, like in COVID, where we have to use our share our house information and also to get gain access or even just to, yeah, there are lots of scenarios. I think everyone is kind of familiar with that and which brought a community that has been working on what we call user-centric identity to think about how the standard, what, which you mentioned, verified credentials can be used in a way that protect individuals when they're sharing information about themselves, especially a sensitive personal information and personal health information. And so that's kind of how the initiative, like the COVID credentials initiative got started. It was mostly um, by the community who have been in the past, I would say like even over a decade, be thinking about how to bring more kind of control of our identity, our digital presence to the to ourselves, to individuals. Certainly there are like, you know, other aspects of like organizations and things, but you know, at least for for that kind of initiative, we're more focusing on how for the initial kind of like the momentum is how how to bring back things to the control of individuals so that's kind of um yeah Purdue is just like you a one one emerging technology to solve like an urgent or emergency issue but which also have long longer term implications like my work now is certainly beyond just COVID as you mentioned I'm ha- having my own consulting firm that kind of how particularly apply we have what we have learned um in the kind of whole COVID health space into a kind of broader areas of of our lives. Okay. So, and this was an interesting time as well, because I know there was a lot of applications being developed. And it was, I think, because of the time, people were scared. People, I think the scrutiny that came with being an individual who was unvaccinated or not vaccinated was one issue. But I think for the government, information was the most critical piece. And they needed to understand COVID was actually developing in what geographies and what areas so they could see the movement and the disease. And unfortunately, that also has implications on what individuals can share. So that's one area. So let's go back a little bit and let's identify decentralized identity and why you think we need to to actually rethink how we, about the, these representations of ourselves through our you know, our credit cards or our certificates, passports, et cetera, and how they're disseminated. Yeah, let's kind of go back to like how we even get started, you know, how we start using it in computers or internets, right? I mean, I think we're still using it today. We're still using the username and password, but at the very beginning, it's pretty much there's a lot on, at the individual level. We're not talking about enterprise, obviously, today, but more like, oh, we, we, there are more and more people you know, getting probably a decade or two decades ago, more access to internet, more access to computer and to devices, right? And then there's all these applications, web applications, mobile applications, and each one of that, you're kind of, oh, you have one password, one username and password, and getting like more and more, it's kind of exploding to a point where we're like, okay, this is not how we want to manage our things, right? In a digital space. And then that's also when the social network, like Facebook, um, like, you know, also like large tech companies, like, you know, Google kind of started to emerge. And we're like, okay, if everyone is kind of using kind of Facebook or some kind of social networks and you must have like a username and password, a way of getting into it. So how about let's leverage that as our identity and try to get it into different apps. So it's easier for, for people. It is easier. And we call it, you know, we call it social logins. And I think many of you, I mean, I'm, I'm still using it today, but what's the implication of using that is pretty much whatever like the applications you're using that like you use like your Google or use your Facebook 
plug in is that they're going to know who you're interacting with, right? How you even get the ads and all the, <laughs> how much they know about you, you don't know, right? So the idea, I mean, it provides more convenience, but the idea of, you know, kind of being tracked, right, by, by large tech companies is not like a, it's not a sexy idea. And so there are also like more kind of a jargon we use, we call it federated identity. Like we go from kind of like, you know, siloed identities, right? Like each application, we have kind of our, our, our own username and password and, and then move from that to kind of more federated or centrally federated identities, which like, you know, the, the social logins. And then we're like, okay, what, how about us as, you know, individuals, we can have the same kind of control that we do, like in the physical world, the same thing like happening in the fit, sorry, in the, in the digital world. I can give you an example, like we, that's because um, you mentioned, you know, driver's license. Right. So it's the way I mean, we do it in, in the physical world is we get our driver's license issued to us in a card and then we use it. And no, you know, whoever issued us, they don't know. I don't know if I'm using my driver's license to get a, you know, a, a bottle of wine and I'll CBO. Gladly so. Right. And then you want to do that in, in the same way in the online world. And so I mentioned social login, but in general, like there are many ways of doing federated kind of centrally federations by, for example, like we, if we, one way of doing driver's license is like, you know, is one, the same kind of government entity can issue you a driver's license, like in a digital version. And then you use that um, to, when I'm buying um, alcohol in LCBO, can use that digital credential and, and share it with LCBO. But then the issue is how, where that, how the LCBO is going to know where that, that, do they get that for information? If you're doing kind of like central, in a central way, then they probably like they have to pin a government database. So each time I'm using that driver's license, getting verified, I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just giving you an example of prior to decentralized identity, what could be the case. It still be the, could be the case today, but we don't want it to be happen. But it's like, we don't want each time we're logging to a new application, Apple, you know, Google or, or Facebook know what we're doing, the same idea, right? So the, the idea of decentralized identity is this intermediate, anyone could in between that actually our, our identity providers, because if you think about it, actually Facebook and Google become our identity providers to the different application, right? That's not ideal, especially when we're using those identities and they know what we're doing and what we're doing and how often we're doing it. So that's like decentralized, because when we're talking about decentralized, what we mean, like actually disintermediate and actually let the individuals have controls. Like at oh. kind of like the center point is us. So how would this look like? So let's just say, the way it works now, and let's use a simplified example. You want to go to a bar. You want to prove that you're 19 years old. So you hand the, the bouncer your driver's license, and he not only sees your name, your address, he knows your date of birth, right? And that's enough for him to let you access, right? But now he's seen all of them, and he really only needed to see your age. So how does this change as a in the verifiable credential space when it comes to, you know, disintermediation and what would that bouncer see in the better verifiable credential for the person that's trying to get into the bar? Just just one one kind of small point of correction. I think he needs two things, right? He needs to know if actually I'm presenting my okay. license, right? And then he needs to see if I'm in above age. And this is the same case, like he needs to know it when we're using digital version. Right. So what the ideal I and mean, what we're trying to do, like with, you know, verifiable credentials, verifiable credentials is like just one tech, one piece of the technology. But in general, like how we're trying to de 
like the, the ideal end state is the bouncer kind of like there's some some kind of verification mechanism ideally just in, on his phone or a phone like provided by by the bar or something that can actually verify like a digital version of it which so like he still needs to know this is actually my my it's me it's my actually it's my driver's digital driver's license but he has to know it's actually coming from a legitimate government body that actually issued it, which actually this is something we can't we can't do in a physical world because you know you can fake a car, but in a digital world you can do it, and there's a way to know if it is a legitimate issuer. And and another thing is like you mentioned, it's the age, right? If I'm above age, right? And uh, they don't he doesn't even have to know have to see like my birthday. He just have to know okay, is this person above certain age? Right. And, and also when he's doing it, right, he's not pinning any government database. No one is knowing that, you know, Lucy is using my digital version of driver's license to get into a bar. So that's kind of like what, what credentials together with other um, supporting decentralized technologies is trying to achieve. Okay. So I, I'm trying to think whether which one we should go to first. Um, identifying self-sovereign identity, which is the framework behind this, or actually going into what Verbot viable credentials are. Maybe we, we tackle self-sovereign identity as the framework first, and then what does the infrastructure look like within vi verifiable credentials? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, like you're actually using an alternative term, right? Self-sovereign identity. I just wanted to, for the audience and who don't know, it, it's self-sovereign identity is actually, it's a, an alternative term we use for decentralized identity. We're less inclined to use it because self-sovereign is, it's, there is a confusing <laughs> It's a confusing term, but well, political too. Yeah, yes, yes. So, but what what I was trying to explain earlier about what we're trying to decentralize is the essence of what we're trying to achieve. Hopefully, we're not getting confused by the term, but I, I hope that the audience get like the essence of we're really trying to give individuals like more control of their digital presence and also the way they have been doing it in a physical world. Where we're not trying to give you know anything like too kind of mysterious or anything. Right. It's like you, ha we have done things in a way, like in a physical world that we're familiar with that also works. I mean, a lot of them towards our benefits without having to kind of let anyone know we're doing something with our physical card. We want that in the digital world as well. So that's like the control an individual can have over identity and data online. This is what we're trying to achieve, regardless of the terms <laughs> itself. Okay. So yeah. yeah, go down that path. It's yeah. Okay. Let's so let's go down now. self sovereign identity. Okay. Same principles. So can you talk a little bit about some of the elements of it, like user centricity, control, trust, and interoperability? Yes. I think we touch upon like user centric centricity a, a lot, right? I like, you know, give, I give some context of how we started initially. So I'm not going to go down deeper there, but I, there's, I think the one thing I want to highlight is the interoperability part you're talking about. I think like it was user centricity. And sorry, there's what, what is the second thing you're you're saying? Is trust. Yes, I mean trust is a, is, is really hard. So there are multiple existing doc like writings uh, where like uh, that are around like the principles, which I'm happy to share. Um, like so so like the audience can read it. A uh, trust is not, it's it's a hard it's hard word to define. So it's also like a very a vague word. So it's yeah, I think like being the principles of the decentralized identity are more kind of like we're trying to be tangible. Right, like if there's a principle, there needs to be a way of, of actually using the technologies to to do it. So I I would I think I will by, bypass like the trust part and but I will I, I think control is another thing you mentioned, right? Control. Right. Can I can I just add something? I, I'm thinking that even from a trust perspective, maybe it's 
the infrastructure that defines their viable credentials. Yeah, I think I would say trust is less of a principle, it's more of a goal. Okay. Right. And so you're, it's, it's the same thing. You're trying to, in the digital world or in the physical world, you're trying to leverage tools, systems, and technologies, right, to actually achieve trust, whether it's, you know, digital trust or trust in the physical world, right? And, and I think having, and then it's a little bit different from the principles you have to hold, right? So that's, I think it's important to kind of distinguish that. Uh, and the last one was interoperability. Yeah, interoperability. I think it's, um, it, and I think going back to kind of like the earlier context of providers, when we are looking at identity, when I first started in this space, I didn't think about it. I think about identity as, you know, username and password. And I didn't think too much about identity in the sense that, you know, we, how institutions have been, you know, before, prior to like, you know, internet age, where prior to we have even computers, right? We have identities, like in a, just like a purely physical world that, you know, that's needed by institutions, our schools, right? The companies. I mean, it's like, it's, it, that is something that, it, I, something I didn't think too much about, but in the digital world, like we were most, we're more inclined to think about identity, like how we get into applications, how we kind of, uh, but the identity is m- way beyond that. So that's one thing I want to say. And second, I want to say, you know, when we're looking at identity, we're even just, you know, we're, we're still more focusing on there's this application, you know, I need to provide in my information. But what, what is happening now is like there's so, so much of our life are in, in, are, on, are, are in the digital space, right? How the different kind of things we're using mm-hmm. to represent ourselves, where it, and it's actually how this, these things work together. Because in, in, I think in the, in the language of using credentials, right, if we have a digital driver's license, and we hope that we can just have, you know, you use that digital lesson, driver's lessons wherever we go, right? The system, like the, whoever is running the system on the other end to verify us, we hope that this is some, you know, they can take the one digital driver's lessons I, I got from the government, right? This is the case in the physical world, but it's technology is more complicated, right? The different systems are different on the, based on different technologies. And so what's, I think what makes a digital identity unique and different is it's one of those technologies that is not just a technology, it's also an infrastructure, right? If you think, I think one example I can give is like, think about like emails, right? It's like, so we're using like email programs, right? Like whether using your Gmail or Outlook or other email programs. The one thing that we know is, you know, whichever program we're using, we're able to send email to the, uh, to others, regardless of what kind of email program they're using. Right. So, so we look at them as applications, programs, but actually there's some kind of thing fundamental, like in, at the infrastructure level that enable, enable like all the different applications. There are some kind of like ways of to, to in, in exchange emails. Right. So that this is the same idea or a similar idea in digital identity, right? Regardless of um, what programs, what, what um, applications we're using, there should be some kind of infrastructure level that are kind of reconciled so we can use our digital driver's lessons wherever we go. So that's kind of like interoperability piece. I, that, that's why interoperability, it has been highlighted as a very important principle. I mean, it, it, there, there are different versions of principles, but it's, this one is certainly a very, an, a very important one to highlight. The one, the one thing I want you to talk about a little bit, because uh, before we started this program, one, one of the principles that we had discussed was about the, the ability to tamper-proof the information between entities. And, and what you had told me was that we wanted to, to create a higher level of assurance and that tamper-proofing 
is not necessary is is it could be a goal but is it are we there yet so I think it's it's a, done, um, a better word to use is temper evident. It's, it's really hard to temper prove. Um, and so the reason why I'm saying it, so verifiable credentials and decentralized identity leverage a lot of you know modern cryptography. Right, so one way, I'm, I think one thing I also mentioned earlier is if we're using our physical driver's license, there are so many ways of fake your physical card and go use it, right? And and what what crypto like modern cryptography can help like in a digital world is how to kind of to bring more uh, security and a level, higher level of assurance to the digital to digital credentials you're having, like you know, for example, in the form of your di- driver's license. So that means when, so uh, in a simple way, so for for whichever authority can actually issue a digital driver's license, he will have his keys. And the work nation will have the keys, right? That they actually sign the credential, and also the, the work nation will have a way of actually publish. So there's a public key and private key, right? They use their private key to sign the credential and they make their public key public. So, and in, for example, on, on their website, right? So whoever the verifier is, right, can actually use that public key to verify if an incoming credential is coming from that issuer, right? So that's is something that you don't see in, in, the, in the physical world. And, and so, which means, right, if, for example, if I issue, uh, you know, if I somehow have the tools to actually issue a credential to you, Hasi, and says, oh, this is your driver's license, there's a way of a verifier can know actually this public, the public key that was in, it's paired with the private key that signed the credentials, it actually doesn't from like the authorized entity that can issue driver's license. I hope that I explained a simple enough way, but it's, it, it, I, yes, there are some kind of modern cryptography in place that help, that can help improve the level of assurance of a credential in right. the world. I I'm, I want to highlight like one of the comments that came through from uh, William Gezi said we need more for more uh, training for normal people, and as especially as they trust more big data and with the information that's already out there, it it leads us kind of into the before we get to the next question about like the the rampant adoption of uh, generative AI. Can you just provide the basis of verifiable credentials, like with the three entities? that uh, conform to the foundational infrastructure. Okay. It, it's not, not too different from what we have in the fiscal world. If you think about like, and let's keep using the driver's license scenario, right? There's an issuer that is a government body that issued the credential, right? There's a holder, which is me, could be you, could be me, right? Individuals who actually get that credential issue from the government entity. And then I need to use the credential for example, I go to LCBO where I go to a bar, right? There's the LCBO, the cashier is going to need to verify my credential, whether physically, you know, physical card or digital version. The same thing with the bouncer, right? These are kind of the three key players um, in the, what was, we call it the trust triangle. And it's the same thing in the physical world and the same thing in the digital world. But one important kind of a party that we sometimes miss is, and I, and I think it's, it's a there. So these credential issuing and holding and verifying doesn't, is there's not a, a, like in, in a vacuum, there's actually certain rules and policies that are guiding it, right? It's the same idea in the digital world, right? There needs to be rules like who are, le- who are legitimate issuers of a driver's license, right? So actually the, the, the bouncer or the LCBO knows like who they should trust as the, the issuer, right? The oldest kind of a governance and the policy level of that kind of role is also very important. And, you know, I think whether it's in the fiscal world or in the digital world. 
So from what you're saying is that to actually be part of this circle of trust, I guess, there needs to be verifications around that too, right? So to, to be the, yes, you are a government entity and uh, you issue driver's license. From that perspective, by you being already part of that infrastructure, does that still provide, um, make you still more vulnerable to, let's say, breaches, et cetera? And the possibility that somebody may tamper with your infrastructure to create an identity that may be false. Is that possible as a verifier? It's possible. I think that I, there's no perfect technology. There's certainly there's risk still there, right? For example, like on the issuer side, how how like the government entity manage their employee logins, right? Like how they manage that to so that the only authorized individuals can actually issue credentials and to and to the holders, like to you and I, right? Are they also like are they also like doing it responsibly, right? So that's kind of the things like you, you have it in the physical world, the same thing in the digital world, and also like there are, I mean, they have our data, right? The issuers and do have our data, right? How they guard that data. Is not different whether with verified credentials with or without. Oh, without. Okay. And, and on the verifier side, it's the same idea. I think that the, the thing on the verifier side is, is even trickier, right? Because when when we're pre then pre presenting physical driver's license, there's no data stored, right? They just look at it and it's fine. And then and then now like the verifier's decision is like what what I think there's also there should be policy that says what the verifiers can actually they can, data they can take and store right and also on the verifier side there's also some of their decision is how they're going to deal with that data are they do they even want the data in the first place because when they when they're when I'm presenting the information even if verifier credentials to a certain extent it can it can it, it can enable like me to selectively disclose information that's still information when it gets to the verifier it's got to the verifier. Right. So that's on their side, whatever they have to do to safeguard their, their system and data is still there. Right. Okay. Even on the holder side, it's still like how I can safeguard my, my wallet. Right. If I have a wallet that holds credentials and how, you know, losing your phone could be actually <laughs> a way of, you know, letting other people right. access your thing. Right. That's the, these things are still like they exist before they still exist. But certainly the way, I mean, like the credentials work. Right. And also the cryptography works certainly help improve assurance. And, and security in some way. Okay, so let, let's talk about control or maybe lack thereof, especially now that we get into more of the, the generative AI stuff and where I think um, things are moving much faster. And there is this, the issues that exist even before AGI are now going to be faster, like manipulation and uh, let's say creation of fake accounts. How does that impact verifiable credentials like um vice versa yeah i so i just came back from a, one of the largest identity conference in north america last week uh, i think one thing like in the keynote and that mm -hmm. what, what we're being discussed is like impersonation right it's pretty much like <laughs> i just don't know i can give how do i know i'm actually speaking to hassie jones now right you could probably be like an image like created like that look like you very much like you or exactly like you by mm -hmm. ai and also like your voice is also mimicked by ai well, I don't know. But in this scenario, like the risks of me being, you know, getting into any kind of fraud where it is, is low. But if you think about if someone is kind, is kind of an important person, you know, like the AI is actually, you know, impersonating that person. So you get people, you get into people's like bank account, all this kind of stuff. This is our, this make, you know, a digital identity even more difficult, right? So it's kind of reflections we're doing at the conference, like how, what, how our tools and technologies and infrastructures need to evolve to actually to keep up to date with, you know, how AI and other technologies 
the development of other technologies. But I think this is a quite a kind of like <laughs> scary example. Thing. Yeah. yeah. If Challenge. you think if you think about it. Okay. But so, the financials can can help, right? Like if if because the things that the it, yes, the AI or you know, someone malicious can use AI to to impersonate you, but the, the chances of them actually getting the whole, getting hold getting control of your of your credentials, which potentially your wallet, where you're you're some kind of like an encrypted uh, data vault, it's it's still low, right? Okay. So how to kind of like you know use digital identity, like secure digital identity technology properly to help prevent kind of impersonation is something that we certainly need to think more about these days. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so last question, because I know we're running out of time. So for startups who are developing, let's say, applications in this space, and increasingly many of these applications are going to collect and manage customer information, what should they know about how they can get started to integrating uh, verifiable credentials into their tech? Yeah, I think there. Are, I think that good, great questions, because the reason why I mentioned earlier, like, don't think identity a special digital identity just add logins where users and password anymore, right? It's, it's an actual infrastructure. I, I know that many of the, the current problems are existing solutions that companies can use, but as things evolve, like government are, you know, looking into how to leverage, build infrastructures to you know, provide better public services, right? In, in, in the world of identity and more and more companies like, like are, are actually adopting standards. Like the infrastructure I mentioned is actually standard, right? It's our standard that enabling us to exchange emails. They're also open standard that we're using to build identity infrastructures. I think for, for companies who are building applications and need to, I think they need to first understand how actually, you know, go beyond just understand identity that go, that in a way that beyond just, you know, identification, like username, username password, authentication, authorization, they're still there, but there's way beyond that, right? How a person's identity digital representation online and how that kind of, connected with the, the broader data space, right, of, of, like, of the services or product you're providing. It's not important and, and having that understanding and then come back to, okay, what, how these, you know, new kind of in infrastructures could potentially Im impact them. I think a lot of companies, they don't have to do a lot at these days, but even just start to understand digital identities becoming an infrastructure that is very important as part of like cybersecurity or like, you know, privacy part is something that, you know, even us, we are, we, we, we're trying to understand more because like cybersecurity, privacy, and digital identity has been three things, but not necessarily actually connecting well, like from a kind of an industry point of view. But I think at the end of the day, like an application, right, like a software pro provider, right, an application provider needs to think about, you know, all of these aspects and understand it and keep trying to keep up to date. So when the time comes, they can evolve accordingly. Yeah, so, I think. I think the one thing that I would always advocate is that, especially if you're starting a business and you're, you're developing like some kind of digital platform, that privacy and security at the very least has to be the foundation of what you're building. You can't kind of add it on afterwards. It now, because of regulation, because of, of the concerns that we've outlined here are need to be addressed at the very foundation of building that business. Yes, I think one thing I would add, it's not only just risk reduction, but also can potentially business value, right? Who, because as now like the infrastructure, the one key difference in the digital world in terms of identity is more and more people can become identity providers, can become issuers, right? The data you have about people, right? How you can, that can be valuable for the individuals, Absolutely. but also using new technologies, you can enable them to have more control of that. So you're actually providing more business value 
to your customers and potentially to your partners, which will actually help you, will, will help your business. But I think also start to think about that way too. That's, that's something like we, we have been helping many of them, our clients with. Okay, thank you. I think that's all we have for today. Thanks, Lucy, for joining us today. Thank you, Hasi, for having me. And thank you, everyone, for you know, tuning in and we're, you know, watching it afterwards. <laughs> right, right. You can you could actually connect with Lucy on LinkedIn, by the way. And there, I know she, Clea Young, are doing a lot of amazing work. For you, our audience, if you have any great ideas and topics that we should be covering on the show, email us at communications at altitudeaccelerator.ca. We are also on podcasts, so Tech Uncensored, wherever you can find your podcast, that's where we are. Thank you for joining me. I'm Hesse Jones, and until next time, have fun and stay safe. Thank you. Tech Uncensored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Bluemax. For more tech and censored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemax.io to join us on Discord.